Good morning, 4th Avenue family. We are super thankful that we get to be with you today. Whether it be virtually or not, we are thankful that we get to share this message with you and continue our series of You Are Here. Patrick asked Dean and I to continue the Ecclesiastes series, and we are continuing with Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 12. So if you guys want to open up to your Bibles, uh, open up your Bible app, get on Bible Gateway, whatever it is, or if you just want to take a second to listen in silence and hear this word from God. Yes, before I read that, I just want to thank you, Evan, for doing this, and thank all the people that make these kind of connections possible. We were reminded this week with our family and a few other close friends how important it is to stay connected, even though we're doing it in safe and in socially responsible ways. So thank you for joining us here, and let's read from God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on humankind. Those whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing of all they desire, yet God does not enable them to enjoy these things, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. A man may beget a hundred children, live many years, but however many are the days of his years, if he does not enjoy life's good things, or has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes into vanity, and it goes into darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it is not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All human toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage have the wise over the fools? And what do the poor have who know how to conduct themselves before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what human beings are and that they are not able to dispute with those who are stronger. The more words, the more vanity. So how is one the better? For who knows what is good for mortals while they live the few days of their vain life, which they pass like a shadow? For who can tell them what will be after them under the sun? Let's pray. Father God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So we come to Ecclesiastes 6. And what's great is Patrick got to kind of uh, leave off on a good note last week, and he got the easy job. That's not really true. Ecclesiastes is not an easy text in general, but the ending of chapter 5 comes to this place with the teacher, this author of Ecclesiastes, kind of finding some peace. So we've had some unrest, we've had some uncertainty that he's noticed within all of the world. And then towards the end of chapter 5, he's kind of like, but God gives good gifts and he wants us to enjoy them. And he wants us to take them on with good pleasure and sit in them and glorify in them. But then out of nowhere, he comes and says that he sees another evil and it's kind of related to this same gift. It's as if he sees what this gift is as kind of this paradox of both what can give us 
light and good life, but then what also can weigh us down and hold us from any sort of productivity or prosperity in life. And when I say prosperity, I don't mean the same prosperity that he's talking about here, but in the way of enjoying and satisfying and loving life, the way that Ecclesiastes is talking about this entire time of, okay, how, how can I understand the world amidst destruction? How can I understand the world when life is so fleeting, when life is uncertain? Oh, I can understand it when I have good gifts, when I have family, when I have a, a, a place to live, when I have food to eat. And, and then he gets here and says, but wait, God can take that away. <laughs> yeah, and he, he uses this language here. It's almost like we, Evan and I had this image of, of like a boulder, this burden, this weightiness that he's experiencing. And, and it hits me as he's going through the book, he's dealing with a weight kind of a weightiness and a burden of life. This is one example, but it really fits into the larger thing he's been talking about the entire time. He says, this is weighing me down, this is burdening me. Uh, and here he's specifically talking about when we have good things, but we're not able to enjoy them. And he calls it in verse two, he says, this is vanity. Um, I want to talk about that for a minute because this, line, this word he uses, he uses, by the way, five times in this just 12 verses. <laughs> But he uses it throughout the book. In fact, you don't get two verses into the book before he says, it's not just not being able to enjoy things that are vanity. It's everything. <laughs> I mean, chapter 1, verse 2, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What is he saying? What's he talking about here? Uh, I very intentionally didn't use the NIV here because I remember when I first read that, and it's translated meaningless. I think that doesn't make sense. Vanity, I don't quite grab that either. But here's what I've, I learned. The, the Hebrew word, and we don't have to know Hebrew to go to heaven. <laughs> The Hebrew word is hebel, H-E-B-E-L. This word means simply vapor, breath, or mist. So let's think about it. He says, man, when, when you have things, but you can't enjoy them, that's vapor, that's breath, that's mist. When he says life itself, what weighs me down when I think about life is that it's vaporous. <clears throat> it's breath-like. So here's the picture. Picture when you're driving in the morning, and there's that morning fog, and then it goes away. Picture going out on a cold day, and you, you can see your breath. He said, life is like that. That's an image we need to take in. Now, as soon as I hear that, I hear meaningless. That doesn't make sense to me. But if somebody tells me, look, life is breath, mm. life is vapor, especially now. <laughs> Did we have any sense that this text would be as meaningful as it is when we first started planning it? No. What is he saying? Life is breath. Um, one other place, just in case I've heard uh, one teacher back in the day say that this is just a grumpy old man talking mm. in the Old Testament. Well, here's what it says in, in James chapter 4 again. How timely are these words? It's not all happy, but it is an important perspective to have on life. James chapter 3, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there. How many people's crowd plans <laughs> have been affected? Doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. So in the Old Testament and the New, there is this image that says life has a vapor, mist-like, breath-like um, sense to it. Now, I think about this, and, and what does it mean? A couple different things. First of all, it's talking about life's fleeting, right? So that breath is there, and then it's gone. The fog is there, and then it's gone. We can't grab hold of it. We can't freeze it there in time. But there's also a sense, and this is what I think the NIV means by meaningless or senseless, some translation. We can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the language we use, uh, we can't grasp it. Mm -hmm. 
That works for both of them. I can't hold on to it, can't freeze it, but I also can't quite figure it out. So I like great theologians, and the word of the, word, the paraphrase, the great theologian, Princess Leia. <laughs> the harder you tighten your grip, the more life slips through your fingers. He's saying there is a vaporous nature to our lives, and we can't hold on to it. And I do think we feel the weightiness of that, don't we? We feel like, gosh, I had life figured out a week ago, yeah. but I don't quite now. Or I've got great things in my life right now, but I can't hold on to it. They keep slipping away. That's that sense of picture. And it has something to do with the desires that we're wrestling with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think what comes with this is the sense of also this as Dean is saying, this fleetingness of this vapor that we can't grasp. And so there's this lack of control, which how many of us are feeling that right now? How many of us feel like we cannot control even tomorrow or the next day? Because we're not sure what to expect. We can't, our structure is out of whack. Our schools are not meeting. Our churches are not gathering. All these things are without. And these are our blessings. These are things that we're so fortunate to have. Good education, to have church communities, the freedom of religion, all these different things. But I think another piece to this that the Bible Project actually speaks to in one of their videos is the way that this vapor blinds us. So the way that we see these things that could be good gifts, that could be good things, that then we're almost like frozen. We have no way to see ahead of us. We have nothing that we can move forward to, but we're just stuck where we are. And I, I see that a little bit here as well with this. But we continue on in verses 3 through 6, and we see all these different ideas of the way that this plans out with uh, specifically within this person's life that this teacher is talking about. If a man had a hundred children, if, if this person had everything that they could ever want, if they had the family, if they had the home, if they had the white picket fence, you know, all the things that we say are the American dream or just the goals of a good life. They don't even have to be that high wealth status. It's just simply living well. And we see these goals, but it says, even if someone had that right now, the way that I'm seeing life, this teacher is saying, it, it's not, it's kind of not worth it because it's just going to evaporate. I have no control. I can't see in front of me because there's nowhere to move from this. I'm just stuck in this rut of trying to do and to do and to do and to gather. And I can't even move forward, which like this gathering mentality right now, we're trying to just gather a ton of toilet paper because who knows <laughs> when it will go out of stock. We're just trying to hoard these things. And that's what this teacher is kind of speaking to of why have I hoarded? Why have I sought these things that are gonna supposed to, they're supposed to make me feel worthy. And we see this because a lot of the Jewish culture, if we're specifically speaking to these good things that this teacher is talking about within this family and with property and with just comfortability, we see this in the Jewish culture as a way of legacy. If you can't see in front of you because of the vapor, at least someone else will be able to take your name further. We see this in a specific book that I had a chance to read called Redeeming Singleness by Barry Danilak. And he speaks to this idea of how we see all throughout scripture, this, these ways that people sought out a healthy life via family and via children and via huge land and all these different things because they thought, even if I can't get to that level of what I think is good for me, maybe my kids will take me there. Maybe my grandkids will take me to make my name known. Maybe I will be able to be understood despite the chaos that is going on right now in my life. I may be at the bottom of this. I may not be able to grasp this. I may feel like the weight is overwhelming to me, but maybe my family will do that for me. But ironically, what the teacher says is that doesn't work for you either. 
that's not worth it. That's not going to take your worth. That's not going to speak to actually who you are. And he uses this really harsh metaphor that I think we have the right to say that it's a harsh metaphor and it's really difficult to hear with this idea of a stillborn child. But this isn't the first time that he uses this. He uses this earlier on in chapter four. And we see that the way that he's talking about this is simply saying, I don't know how to deal with life. It feels overwhelming. I have these boulders that just keep piling up and they're not of bad things. It's not like I'm trying to like get ahead and stomp on top of people. I'm just trying to get somewhere where I can live comfortably. I'm just trying to have a family. I'm just trying to live in a place where I can feel at peace. But he says, even that is without, I can't hold on to it. I don't know where to go from this because for whatever reason, I recognize that everything will end in death. Do not all go to the same place. And this is where he's met with this reality that we can have these labels of who we want to be. If we want to be a parent or we want to be a good teacher or we want to be a pastor or we want to be a good neighbor. And we can put all these things on and we can try all that we can do. But they're just going to keep weighing us down if we're just attempting to become something that we can never attain. That's one of the things I appreciated when we first sat down and talked about. We did independently study this text together, and we talked, and, and both of us independently of each other saw that part of the weight they're struggling with is what do you do with these desires? What do you do with these longings? And I love that you saw this. We both did that. The longings and desires are not all bad. Yeah. Sometimes in church circles, we talk about desires are evil, bad. No. Wanting these things, wanting to be in a place that's safe and comfortable, and having people around you, all that. It's not bad. But what do you do with these desires? And he's wrestling with that in this section and really throughout the book. And part of what he talks about is interesting. He says right before this, we, we said the kind of the good news of, of last chapter. He, this is how he ends up in the last chapter. He, he says, um, recognize this isn't bad. This is good. He said in chapter 5, verse 18, this is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate. It is good for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. And this is an important line. For this is their lot. Other translations, it helps me, I see in pictures, other translations say, this is our portion. And he will talk about this all the time. And again, this is a perspective to sit in for a while. The gospel will say bigger things. But in the moment, he says, what do you do with desires? Well, you recognize, in part of the vaporous nature of life, we recognize life is a one-portion trip. So the picture we had when we were talking about this is a plate. You know, we, we come in with a plate, and you get one trip to the bar, so to speak, to get the food. And, and that's your portion. You're given it. Uh, here's a silly image, but I think about this when, when we were in high school. Me and one of my best friends at church, we, as soon as church was over, we would rush to a place called Roy Rogers. You've probably not heard of this. Roy Rogers <laughs> Restaurant. Some of our older members know where this comes from. There's still two of them, I think, up in Virginia. If you ask David and Luke, their favorite biscuits are Roy Rogers biscuits. <laughs> It's a little chicken place, like Popeyes or something. But what they had is a breakfast buffet. The problem was church ran so long that we, we would come in and there was 15 minutes left before they closed the buffet. So what that means is we get one plate and we get one trip. So you're a youth minister. Can you guess what our high school boys' plates look like? <laughs> they look like a mountain high. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. And part of the joy was digging down to yes. get to the bacon at the bottom, right? <laughs> So here, it's a silly image, but think about this. What the writer, what the teacher is saying, life isn't a buffet. It's, you, get, you get one plate, and you get one trip. And so if we think through that, 
it will help us have a sense of perspective. So, so think through the image. If it's a one plate trip, what do you do? You pile it high. Or another silly image, there was one time years ago, Mel and I were, were doing some silly, crazy diet. And so they could tell you exactly what to eat. And so there was one meal, I kid you not, it was like crackers and a couple pieces of cheese or whatever. Now, can you guess what we did there? We ate it really slowly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So again, think through the image. If life is a one plate trip, what do you do? You savor it. Or to play with the image more, if life is a vapor, if life is a breath, what do you do? You breathe deeply while you have it. Right? That's the picture. So here's a silly little exercise I like to do when I think about Ecclesiastes. We did it in this classroom, actually, a few years ago. But, you know, think through, if you're like me, when I was a kid, I was always looking forward to something. So my sister was five years older than I was. So you can picture me again in um, late elementary school. My sister's in high school. We didn't have a youth group like yours, but we had some semblance of a youth group. And they would do fun things, and she would bring her friends home. So can you imagine what I wanted when I was an elementary school kid looking at my sister and her friends? All I wanted was to be in high school. And then I got in high school, and we're having fun in high school and doing all this, and the problem is there's rules, right? And, and I'm thinking, man, I love high school, but what I really want is what? I want to be in college, because then I get to set my own schedule and do all that stuff. Then you go to college, right? And I'm doing college, and then somewhere along the line, it hits me. I'm paying money to somebody else to do work. So you're in college, what do you do then? What do you want then? I want to get out and get a job. So I want to graduate, I get out and get a job. And then we enjoy for a while, just kind of, it's just us and we get to do what we want and be single for a while. And then sometimes, sometimes, what do we want? Well, gosh, it'd be real nice to find that person or that thing. And so then we get married and then we're married. Now remember, Melly and I were married for seven years. We just enjoyed being the two of us. And then if you're married for a while, sooner or later, one or the other will want something. <laughs> what do they want? They might want kids. They might want kids. So, we, you know, then you have children, and then, you know, you work with kids. You work, And then there, there's this time you think, wow, that's great to have kids, but, man, wouldn't it be nice? And I'm not at this stage yet, but I have all these people that tell me they're empty nesters. And isn't it great when the kids go out and you start measuring the room? And, all the, and then you find yourself there, and you enjoy this time. But you're working, and you're working, and you got to go by somebody else's schedule. And you think, wouldn't it be great when we have enough money to... Retire, and then we retire, and then if you're like Keith Crow, you work harder when you retire than you do when you're not. All this to say, so go through that whole journey. There will come a day when we're literally or metaphorically sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair, and we'll say something like this. Remember, what do we say? Remember the good old days. All that to say this, the teacher's trying to give us a perspective that I think is really helpful. If you ask the teacher of Ecclesiastes, when are the good old days? You know what he would say? Right now. Doesn't mean everything's good. Some things are waiting. But the good old days, whatever's on your plate today is all you have. The good old days are today because you don't have yesterday and you can't figure out tomorrow what is on your plate. Yeah. I think it's a powerful message. So what does he say? You got one trip? Savor it. You got one breath? Breathe deeply because it's all you have for right now. The gospel says more, but I think that's some wisdom, especially now, right? What do we have? I, I end this little portion with this to say, last night, we can't go and interact with a lot of people, but our family went outside and we took a walk. Christine is in Murfreesboro, house sitting for somebody. She couldn't be there. We FaceTimed her and we took a walk in the woods. Why? Because that's what we can do today. I can't hang out with 50 people if I can take a walk in the woods with our family and bring our daughter in on it. We savor what we have in the moment. That might be a message that's important for this time. Absolutely. And I think this, speaking of this satisfying, this desire that's coming into play here, 
I think it's so important that we recognize that both the things that are good and what we can do and not vilify the things that we have in the past. Because it's really easy for us to fill up our plate with things that are just kind of practices and hobbies and habits. And we end up kind of, because we filled up our plates ourselves, it's been our choice to fill up our plates, we end up attacking those things and saying, oh, social media is taking my time. Or, or I don't know, maybe it's like I'm eating too much food. Or maybe I am, you know, I'm reading too much. Or I'm just sleeping all the time. All these different things. But we're, those are our choices. These are things that we're choosing to do because we aren't really recognizing that desire. We want to be satisfied. We want to fill that peace, but we keep trying to find it in other things. And those things are not bad. What we put on our plate is not bad. It's how we take that in. It's what we do with it that can end up turning the other way. But for some of my um, uh, musical friends, uh, there's a great, great song from the musical Hamilton, which is taking over the nation for quite a bit now, but the song is called Satisfied, and it's talking about Alexander Hamilton and how he just has this fight to keep going and more and more and more, just like you're saying, Dean, these things of like, oh, I want this next, or I want this next, or I want that next. He just wants to keep up, keep up climbing the ladder, which he comes from this background of being an orphan who he had to almost gather, he had to hoard, he had to take these things in, or else he may not have something next and so it's this it's this thing if he's trying to fill up his plate because he doesn't know if he's going to be able to go back to the buffet he doesn't know that he's going to be able to have that chance so he keeps trying to do that but there's something that can take us a little bit the other way when we try to satisfy ourselves with these uh, these achievements or these goals or these successes or even maybe it's just trying to look like we're doing okay or maybe it's trying to surround ourselves with all of our people that we love and make sure that they're all taken care of maybe it is climbing up the ladder maybe it's just trying to like sit in everything that we have take in all the information get super prepared do the next trip uh, you know fight the next great social fight or maybe we're so exhausted and what we do is we just take on those naps that's our way of satisfying ourselves we're just like i'm just gonna rest i can't do anything else but i think that we're we're here with the story of kohelet we're here with him talking to this audience and this is something that dean and i talked about a little bit and i thought it was so appropriate dean was actually my teacher in college and i thought what what if this teacher in ecclesiastes isn't speaking to this mass audience what if this teacher isn't speaking to this grand church congregation? What if this teacher had no idea that this is going to be so public and so large, but maybe it was a conversation that was occurring? And this teacher was saying, hey, please, 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 please recognize what's going on within you. Look at those desires. See what's happening and think about who can actually do something about those desires. Think about who can fill those desires and who can actually speak to them, um, which I think is so hard when we have this plate in front of us and i talked about this with some of the students this last week if i look at the plate that dean got at the buffet and then i look at my plate i'm like oh i forgot the bacon or i forgot to get five biscuits or you know all these different things i can look at his plate and think he has more and that ends up putting more weight on me that ends up putting more pressure on me it makes me feel like i'm even less capable and, and less able to do these things and less strong in reality, what we see here is we get to verse 10 and it says, whatever exists has already been named. We already have everything that's occurred. Like, there's not really anything new under the sun as we hear from this teacher. 
No man can contend with the one who is stronger than he. Here is a little bit of glimpse of hope of thinking maybe this, no one can contend with the one who is stronger. Maybe this one is God. Maybe this one who can look at this plate and say, no, your plate is good. Let me show you what's good about it. Let me show you how I can help you really feel fed, really take in this nutrients and sit in it and really be good. And it continues on with looking at this other thing that I think about with Hamilton, which is what, why do we need more words? Why do we need to just keep talking and filling and filling and filling our lives? We may be filling our lives with things to do. We may be filling our lives with things to have. We may be filling our lives with trying to put words out there so that maybe we may last longer. Are we just trying to continue on because we're not sure if we can do anything else? Are we that scared of this blindness that we're seeing with this vapor that we just want to put out all of our last thoughts out there in hopes that maybe they'll carry on past us? So I, it comes to this place where I don't think that the teacher is really a cynic or a killjoy, but I do think he has something that is really important for us to do here. Um, and I think that it provides us the opportunity of maybe thinking about the way that God speaks to our desires. Um, many of us have heard this story from Scripture from Matthew 4, 1 through 11, which is the story of Jesus being led to the wilderness. And Dean and I were talking about this. I've talked to the Club 56ers about this, the students. It's just like been hitting me hard, and it's a really good one, and it's given me a new lens today, and I'm so thankful for it. Because Jesus is sent into the wilderness. He's sent away. He's isolated. Social distancing to the max. He doesn't even have toilet paper out there, people. He doesn't have Clorox wipes, Lysol, any of that stuff. He's in the wilderness, but he's sent out there. And yes, we know that he's sent out there for temptation. We know that the Spirit leads him, as according to the Scriptures, leads him out there for temptation by the devil which seems so strange and weird, and we don't really know why that's occurring. We see that, uh, that Jesus is asked, like, hey, well, what about these loaves or these uh, stones? Do you want to turn them into loaves? Uh, because they're kind of, he's hungry. You know, like the devil's recognizing that he's probably got, got some hunger pains right now. You know, his uh, Chef Boyardee or Campbell soup ran out in the pantry, and so he's got to have something. And then we get to this place where it's like, jump off this cliff and get saved. And like, get held by the angels. You won't get harmed. And then, just go ahead and bow down to me. I'll give you everything. Jesus is given this plate that is empty by the devil and says, let's fill it with this. Let's fill it with that. Let's fill it with this. Do you want to take on these weights? Do you want to take on this opportunity? Do you want to take on this added success? And Jesus turns them all down one by one. And I was talking to Dean, and it's not necessarily a negative viewpoint, but I think a perspective that we came from and more of a fundamentalist background that values scripture so much. What I've been taught for so long is the reason that Jesus was able to turn these added things down, to take away these weights from himself, was because he knew scripture, because he had it memorized. Because it was just next to him and everything that he did. And I'm not saying that's a negative thing. I don't want that to be heard that Jesus knowing scripture, having it near and dear to him, was not a part of his added strength. But I think it was something that actually came before this interaction with the devil that's more important. Because we see in Matthew 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. We see this encounter with God the Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus come to life in the form of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we see this happen in such a way that God opens up the clouds and says, this is my son. 
This is the one that I love. This is who I am well pleased with. He doesn't say it's because he was the best carpenter in all of Jerusalem. <laughs> he doesn't say because he got it all together and he was ready for his big old hike out into the woods. He doesn't say that he did all these great things or he became this great person by worldly success. He just says that's his son. He says that's the one he loves and that's the one that he cares about and that he wants to put all of his energy into knowing, into him knowing that he is good. And I hope that that's what we hear from this teacher, from this Kohelet, that we get back down to this place. And who is it that knows what's happening under the sun? It is God. It is God our Father who says, you are my child. I love you. Take off these weights, look at your plate, and let's sit in this for a little bit. In Psalm 37, we have this idea of delighting in the Lord, taking in this delight that God's already given, the desires that he provides amidst the chaos, amidst the evil, amidst our wicked foes that come against us as you read Psalm 37. But we see this moment where it says, no, sit with me, take in this opportunity, sit still, and please know you are good. No, you cannot do more to be more. That's beautiful. And I, I love how you, sometimes you have to work hard in Ecclesiastes to draw out the hope and the gospel. <laughs> but it does point to it. We've talked about this before. I, I love the thought that what Ecclesiastes does is it asks questions that mm -hmm. only the gospel can answer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's important to sit in the questions for a while and, and to not have it all tied up in a neat bow. And we're living in a time. We can't tell you what's going to happen you know, the next several weeks. But this, this place in the text where it says there is one stronger than we are. So if the picture is this, that life is a vapor and life is a breath, that at the end of the day, I'm invited to trust the one who can grasp it all. I'm invited to trust the one who does hold that breath and everything else in his hands. And to trust, maybe, maybe in this time, what do we do in this time, Evan? Maybe we're invited to trust the one who breathed our life into existence in the beginning, who breathed the church into existence at Pentecost. Can we trust that he's still willing and able to breathe life on us again? Can we do that? And I think that's the invitation. And then when we have that perspective, we can come back and enjoy what is on our plate and we can take it in. I told Evan about this, that <clears throat> the way I wanted to end this is, I love it when I read scripture, but I see it live in a human life. And the last chance that we had to go to the nurse, not nursing home, it's the senior living center, Summerby, that we go and, and put on worship service for. Obviously, we don't go there right now. But the last time I was able to go, there was a guy that's been there for a while, he and his wife, his name is Jim. And he came up when we had a conversation. The, the extent of my deep connection with Jim to this point had been that a few weeks before, his wife had handed me a note, a prayer request. Um, and it was simply this, would you please pray for Jim because he's going to get some scans done to find out whether he has cancer or not. Well, the thing to understand, Jim is already there in part because he's battling Parkinson's. And then he gets a scan and then he tells me, I do have colon cancer now. So what do you do with this perspective? And then Jim starts talking to me. We ended up talking for 45 minutes after the service. And it was like he was preaching this message. Because <clears throat> this is what Jim said. He said, throughout my life, good and bad, God was always there. So all I'm doing right now is I'm asking God, what are you doing in this? What are you going to do in this? Where are you going to show up? Because you've always done it before, and maybe he didn't always trust it before. But now, towards the end of his life, he knows, God, you've always shown up. So I'm trusting you're showing up here. 
The other thing that blew me away too, and, and, and I, I think you met him before and you didn't know this either. We, entire time we'd been there, we didn't know this about Jim. He said, I don't tell a whole lot of people because uh, I don't want a big deal about it. But he said, I, I've been a minister too. And I could mention the place and you would know it, but um, since 1993 until 2018, he was a pastor and on staff at one of the most influential churches, let's just say, in our region. And, and we talked and he was sharing wisdom about life. And I said, hey, would you be willing to share sometime? Would you preach or teach here at Summerbee? He said, no, I don't do that anymore. My voice isn't strong enough. But I told him, and this is part uh, an answer, a pro uh, fulfilling the promise that I gave to Jim. I said, I'm going to preach your message. I'm going to teach it. And I'm doing that now. But here's what he did say. He said, but I'm going to start a Bible study. I'm going to do a Bible He was a small group guy. I'm going to do a Bible study. And it hit me. We didn't know what was going to happen in the next couple of weeks with all the things that are going on now. Can you imagine a time in a senior living center where people need a Bible study more? Mm -hmm. From a guy who's gone through life enough to know that he can trust the God that's holding everything in his hands. I think, what a gift. What a gift. This man taught me what it means to delight in the portion on your plate while you're still trusting the one who holds it all in his hands. Isn't that beautiful? So for me, God gave me a picture of the kind of person I want to be as we go forward into this weighty, vaporous, uncertain time. I'm going to live like this guy who has Parkinson's and cancer and says, okay, here's my portion. I got this experience. I got this opportunity. I'm going to do a Bible study. I'm going to share my wisdom with one guy standing in the room. And to the last breath he takes here, he's going to give his life to the one who holds our breath in his hands. So let's pray. I uh, had the opportunity when we met virtually in a staff meeting this week to, uh, to pray a prayer that comes from an, an ancient um, uh, a book of common prayer. But it was written, this prayer was written for times like this, times of distress or uncertainty. So will you pray with me? Increase, O God, the spirit of kindness and neighborliness among us, so that in times of peril we may uphold one another, in times of suffering tend to one another, in times of homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended and you again give peace in our time. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you all. Okay, great. Okay, so.